Well, we come to our uh, text this morning. Uh, we're back in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 5. Uh, I, I've been focusing on the vanity of false worship. Uh, the reality is we have a world filled with false worship going after religion, right? They keep making up new religions. But which is an interesting is the more religions that you study, you find that they all say almost the same things. They have the same tenets, the same beliefs, and also the same vows. They make a lot of the same promises about their life, uh, their vow of poverty, or their, you know, all of these things. In order to be good and to be fulfilled in life and to feel good about themselves, they make a lot of promises. And it's amazing how many of them are connected. But the reality is, is our goal and the goal of Solomon, when he gave us this text by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, from God, is that really this is an investigation of our relationship because worshiping God is really an outflow of relationship. No relationship, uh, low worship. A low view of God, low worship. The more that we find and understand about God, the higher the worship and the closeness of our relationship with God. Um, and many times I find that I've been distracted, a lot of things going on, and the more distracted I get by my circumstances, the more I, or the less that I'm distracted in my relationship with God. The more I'm distracted, the less worship, the less joy, the less peace and so uh, this is so vital. Which is interesting is, is in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, look, you can, you can look for joy in work and you're going to find vanity. You can look for joy in possessions and you're going to find that it's just vain. You're going to look for joy and fulfillment in people, in relationships, and you're going to find vanity. And now he just sets his size on what we worship. And if what we worship is skewed, then it's going to be foolish and vain. And we don't want that. We want to investigate our relationship with the Lord, and we want to learn from what God is saying, so that way we can be filled with a strong relationship with the Lord, with a passionate and powerful worship that comes from that relationship. Well, let's pray, and then let's ask God to bless the reading, and as we read it, you might see some things that call uh, to your attention, and uh, you might, and then we're going to look at what does that mean, and then how does that impact our life. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that you have not hidden the good things about you from us. You have brought out a full complement of all the good things about who you are, about how to live our life, about how to worship you, the importance of real worship versus false worship. Lord, uh, we see around us the world worshiping many different things and ideas, being driven to and fro. They just, it's amazing all the different ideas that are just driving our society. Lord, may that not be so with us. Open our eyes, our ears. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just remove the distractions, myself included, and that we would just see your word this morning. 
through our hearts, through our minds, ultimately listening with our ears so that we might obey you, love you, follow you intently with a full heart devoted to you in love. So, Lord, we thank you for the written word that you provided in love that has existed and always existed that points us to you. We thank you for these words this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 1 in our text, you'll notice there's kind of basically three sections to this idea of false or vain worship, and he says that there's these basic uh, principles that he gives us, and that is guard your steps. Down verse 2, he says, don't be rash with your mouth when you come to worship, and then in our, what we're going to look at is how do we, you know, the promises that are made before God vows this morning. So let's listen to God's Word as we read it together. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they, what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter words before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger, that it, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. It's interesting as we look at this is we can pinpoint through all of society a lot of these vain things. Number one, as we saw in verse one, that guarding our approach to the presence of God, and, and the reality is, is that many don't guard their approach. They don't, they just vainly come. They just act like it's just a service, it's just a thing to do, but they're not focusing on the presence of God. They're not talking about coming to meet Him, to hear from Him, to listen to Him. It's all vanity, just coming to a service or just going and doing a good thing is not, uh, is not wise. It's just foolish. It's vanity. It comes, it goes. It doesn't really breed the worship and the relationship that God desires. And he goes on to, uh, the second thing we notice is guarding our approach to God quietly and thoughtfully, not just rashly with much words and just proclaiming a bunch of things, but being quiet and thoughtfully in our approach to God. It yields much wisdom rather than daydreams and busyness and foolish things. It's amazing how many times we come to church and, and, and we daydream about stuff and we get fixated and we don't quiet our hearts and our minds, but we let the things of the world flood through us. And that's what he's talking about. And we daydream and we don't actually hear from the Lord. 
We're not being thoughtful. We're not taking the steps or the approach to say, I am coming to hear the Lord. And that brings us to the third point as we look at basically verses 4 through the end of verse 7. And that is approaching God by being resolute in our promises to God, to be basically this idea of being resolute. The point being is being purposeful and committed to following through with every vow to God. Being purposeful, being committed. Committed is like, I'm going to do something and I'm going to do every step I can to make sure that it happens. You're committed to it. You're jumping in with both feet, right? That's why the Spaniards, when they came to South America, when they landed, the captain said, now, I want you to go out and I want you to take every usable board off of that ship. I want you to pile it on the beach and I want you to burn the rest that we can't get off of the ship. And then he says, I want you to then take all that wood and I want you to build a fort. The point being was, we are committed to establishing our lives here. There's no way back to Spain. That's commitment, right? Being committed. Not in the insane asylum, but being committed to doing something, falling through with something. Purposeful. You say, well, what is a vow? Okay, so we're supposed to be committed to every vow to God. Well, what is that? A vow is a solemn pledge. It's to pledge something that God I promise to. That's a pledge. God, it's a, it's a pledge to do something. So God, I pledge, I promise, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible every day for the rest of my life. That's a promise. How many of us have broken that promise? Right? And we make those vows many times, spur of the moment, being convicted, but we don't actually make a commitment to follow through. We don't make a way for that to happen. We just flippantly say it, and we're, I'm getting into the rest of the message. But the idea here is not only to do something, but to behave a certain way. Sometimes we say, God, I'm no longer going to talk about people in a wrong way. Or, God, I'm no longer going to lie. Or, God, and then sometimes you say something to God, and we just you say, I'm not going to lie, and we just lied. Because later on down the road, we fib, right? We, we tell a white lie. Well, it was for their best interest. Well, God doesn't differentiate between best interests and not best interests. A lie is a lie. But we make these vows. That's what a vow is. Uh, in the New Testament, they call it an oath. We hear pledges or promise that we make to God. And that's the, here's the point, is to be purposeful and committed to follow through with every actual commitment we make to the Lord or pledge or promise or oath or a vow. A lot of times we act like a vow is just a human act alone, but in the Bible, everywhere a vow or an oath is made before God. Even sometimes when we flippantly say, I'm, I'm going to promise to do something for somebody, it's also made in the sight of God. And that is, we see it all through the Old Testament. In fact, vows and oaths and promises played a major and important part 
in Israel's worship to God. Not only that, we see it all through the New Testament. Peter made vows or broke vows. Peter, you know, he vowed to, to Christ, I will not deny you. He vowed a vow. God says, you don't understand what you just made, right? Before a cock throws three times, you will break that vow. And he did. And what happened when it came to his mind, he wept bitterly. Praise the Lord that he was able to make that right with the Lord. But it played an important part all through the New Testament, Old Testament, in worship. In our section, we're going to look at some basic commands. There's some commands here, some verbs that say to do this or not to do this. The first one is don't delay. The other command is also in verse 4 is pay what you vow. Basically, pay what you owe. Pay the promise. The other one is don't let your speech cause you to sin. That's another command. The other command we see in verse 7, and that is fear God. That plays a vital and important part of our worship. Vows and promises and how we, the things that we say to God are so vital. They determine whether our worship is vain or or whether it's based on a strong relationship with the Lord. Also, peaceful and joyful relationship. I hope that we, as we look at each of these commands, I hope you realize that this is vital. And, and there's religions that are vainly giving out all of these promises before God, and they have no plans to fulfill them in their life. It just sounds good. And we inadvertently do this. And I hope that you realize that it also determines whether our relationship with God and our time filled with the church family is one of peace and joy. Because the reality is is that this is a time to investigate our relationship with the Lord. And the reality is, is when we're not doing things correctly in worship, it does create the lack of peace, and the lack of joy. Well, let's look at number one, and found in verse four, when he says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. The word delay is fulfill. And so the idea here is number one is is that uh, as we begin a resolute, being resolute in our promises, we need to fulfill our promises to God in a timely manner, timely manner to fulfill it timely. Don't delay. This is a sense of uh, you go and say, God, I'm, um, I'm going to do this. And don't worry. And then tomorrow, don't worry, God, I'll get to it. You know, a month later, don't worry, I'm, I'm getting there. And, and then another year, don't worry, God, I'm planning on it, right? God doesn't work on uh, deferment plans, Right? He doesn't defer the vows. He's like, oh, you can just defer it. You can just, don't worry about it. Just stop right now. And then later on down the road, we'll get you later. Right? No. This is, he's saying strongly, he says, don't delay. If you say, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to act this way. I'm going to do these things. He's saying, it's not a deferment plan. It's not about like a loan or, and some banks don't work on deferment either. They just, you're done. He said, if you make a vow, if you make a promise, 
before God. Do it. Don't delay. You know what? What what do you think happens when we delay doing something? We get distracted. Other circumstances, and, and, and it's amazing how Satan fills your life with many other things that become important. And you forget about the promise that you made to the Lord. Don't delay, which leads to the second one found in verse 4. He says, right, in verse 4, he says, don't delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. He says, basically, if you delay in paying your vow and fulfilling it and following through with it, basically, it's foolish. It's foolish. It's not being wise. It has, it's, van, it's vanity, basically. It's vain. It's grasping at nothing. But also, he says, pay what you vow. Number two, complete your promise to God fully. Complete it fully. That's why he says, yeah, it's better not to make a vow. It's better to think about it and talk to God. It's better to really focus on your relationship with God before you make a vow that you cannot keep. God, I'm going to give you a million bucks, right? How? He doesn't work on the deferment plan, <laughs> right? It doesn't work that way. I'll never forget when we were, uh, our, our missions program in one of our, in our former church, it was based on promises. I promised to give towards missions this amount, X amount of money. We didn't put names on it. We didn't go around and say, okay, you made this, this promise to God. Now we're going to collect it. It was just based between you and God. You made a commitment to God, a vow to God. We're going to trust that you'll honor it. And uh, Jared, I think, was five years old, and we were going through this and talking about it, and he writes out a card, and he says, I promise to give $4,000 a month. (laughs) And I looked at that card, and and I said, all right, son, I, I love your heart. That is a wonderful heart. And I said, how much money do you have in the bank right now? I think $40. Okay, that's impressive. You even know how much money you have. That's great. How much, and then I said, how much money do you think you make a week? Well, when I mow the lawn, I get this, and I do this, and, you know, I, I don't know. I think he, you know, he came up with about $12, uh, $12 to $20 a month that he would get by working uh, and doing odd jobs. And, uh, and so I said, okay. So, and the reality was, he's like, Lord, and he, so he said, I think what I'll do is I'll give $4 a month. So he dropped off a few zeros. Or actually, we just added a decimal. <laughs> so anyway, but he learned and he followed through with that. And we, the idea is we were teaching him, it's like, okay, we need to be careful what we say. Our heart may be so filled with joy and the Lord and all these things. And we just erupt and we say, I'm going to do this. The reality is we need to check ourselves and think, what has God provided for us? What is God doing for us? Where are we at in our life? You know, maybe you, you, you struggle with reading one verse a day. You know, then don't say, I'm going to read a chapter every day. You know, start with five verses. And after you do that every day, say, well, next year is like, well, that was easy. Then say, okay, Lord, I'm going to up it. I'm going to do 10, 12. 15, you know, I'm going to do like a, one chapter. The, the thing is, is when you make commitments to the Lord, you need to plan 
to pay it. You know the word fulfill or there or pay it? Pay it is actually the word where we get fulfill, to fulfill something. The word carries the idea of an obligation or responsibility for something that is not optional. This is a non-optional thing. We need to pay it. It may sound familiar in the Hebrew because it's salim. It sounds like shalom. You know, shalom, peace be with you. It's kind of like hi and goodbye. Uh, But it means to repay, reward, fulfill, and be at peace. It's 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 akin to shalom, to be at peace. It's used in a lot of context with when we fulfill our obligation, we find peace. That idea of, of, of amazing comfort and satisfaction to be truly, it's the highest form of content. The idea is, is when we submit to God to give Him what He is owed, when we do that and we pay it, we find peace in doing the paying of it. The idea is that one who gives a vow must fulfill his promise to meet his obligation and keep his fellowship unbroken in his relationship with God and therefore have great peace. It's what the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 119 and 106. He says, I have sworn an oath, or the word here is the same as vow in the Hebrew, and confirmed it, he says, to keep your righteous rules. And he goes on to talk about the joy that he has because of that, the peace that he has because of that. Also, not only that, Matthew, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. We'll be there for a few minutes. But Matthew 5, verse 33 through 37, Jesus is teaching on oaths, and he's teaching on vows, and he's saying the importance of this. And why is he doing that in the Beatitudes? He's actually teaching the, the gospel and the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious rulers of the time, they weren't following the gospel, they weren't following God, and they had made up all of these different things that, had, that were contrary to God. And the idea here is, is that we need to complete our promise with God fully. And he's, he's teaching about oaths, and Jesus shows us misplaced oath and vows that the scribe and the Pharisees had. They were teaching it wrong, and they were adding to Scripture. The scribes misplaced the emphasis on the significance of the vow in their relationship with the Lord. In fact, they had a, it's amazing in their sections in the Talmud and all the extended versions of the Bible that they've written about rules and regulations in, in religious things and their supposed relationship with the Lord. They had this amazing, sophisticated style to all the way that they fulfilled oaths and vows. In fact, they, f- they give ways and loopholes to get out of your vows. They would, they would find ways to make the vow not binding. And that was the opposite of what God desires, of what our text says here. In fact, 
um, basically, Jesus in his teaching in the, these verses is pointing back to what David said in Psalm 51.6 when he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, that means the heart, our soul, and you teach us wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 33 of, of Matthew 5, Jesus says this about these uh, false oaths or vows. He says, against you, uh, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. If you sworn something to the Lord, do it, he says. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth. So he's saying, don't swear on heaven, don't swear on earth. He's saying, I make this oath on heaven. Or we see, I swear an oath by, uh, by, on my mom, right? On my mom's grave. Or I swear an oath by, we've, we've heard things like this over the years. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have all made these amazing rules that you could swear by heaven, swear on earth, and all these things. And he says, don't swear by earth, verse 35, for it is the footstool of God. Or don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, talking about Christ. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, right? Or grow back depending on what your hairstyle is. Um, it says, and it says, do not take an oath by, and it says, verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or simply no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In this example, he's directly pinpointing a problem of the vows and the oaths made by a bunch of religious rulers. He's noting the manipulation, this example of manipulating these oaths. They were illogically reasoning that if you swear by the temple of God, then you're not obligated to fulfill the vow. It's just a good thing, you're saying. Or, by but if you swear by the gold of the temple, you're obligated to fulfill the vow. There's more, there's more value in the gold of the temple than the actual temple. It's, you really begin to see the foolishness of this. That, right? In, in verse 4, he says, For God has no pleasure in fools. This is foolish. Because hypocritically, in their reasoning, by swearing by a gift that was laid on the altar, they're basically saying that, and that it's binding, that the gift given on an altar is binding. They're saying that the gift is more important than one that they're giving to. We do that all the time. A lot of times we make the act of doing good things more in binding than actually the worship of God who we're supposed to be giving to. What's amazing, by swearing by an empty altar, um, by saying that it was not binding, what they were valuing was the gold above God since the temple was the house of God. They did it a lot of times, over and over and over again. They put preference on certain things, but on God, they put little preference. 
And that's the idea here, is complete your promises fully. But what Jesus' teaching leads us to this third point, and that is, mean what you say to God. Mean what you say. Verse 5, it says, it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you to sin. These, these religious rulers were vowing all these vows, and it was leading them to sin directly in their relationship with the God because they weren't, they weren't following God, obeying God. They weren't really putting preference before God, but they were putting preference before other things. They were doing whatever was pleasing to themselves. They were trying to make it easy on themselves, but still look good in the eyes of of the people of Israel. We need to mean what we say to God. What's interesting, it says, don't let your mouth lead you to sin and do not say before the messenger what is that it was a mistake. And you say, well, what is that all about? Well, the religious rulers uh, in Israel, they made up this system that basically you would go um, before a priest in the temple, and you'd say, here's my vow, and sometimes you'd say, and here's my offering to, to pay for the vow, I'm going to do this, and sometimes they would just say, I was going to make this vow that next year I'm going to have two lambs instead of one, right? And then the priest, as he saw you come to worship, he would be asking you, okay, you know, just to remind you, how's that going? Have you multiplied your lambs? Do you have enough lambs that they'd be without blemish that you can provide before the Lord? And, and so these messengers would go out to, to collect the vow and say, you vowed this vow and we're there. And many times they would say to the messenger, oh, it was just a mistake. I really didn't mean to say that. And they would, make, they would say, and they would say, no, it was just a mistake. It was an error. That's what Solomon is saying. As he overlooked all these people coming and going to worship, he saw people that were so inconsistent in their worship. They said they were going to do things, and then they said, oh, no, 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 it was just a mistake. I didn't mean it. That makes God upset. He's in this, you know, they're saying this in a matter, and in fact, uh, I don't want to, it's interesting, but you go to Acts 5, 1 through 11. If you know, remember, many of you might remember Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They made a commitment. They sold their property. Now, it's interesting is, is the commitment didn't have to be, they didn't have to give all the proceeds from the property, but they said it was all their proceeds. They made that vow at the altar and giving their gift, but they had held some back. They lied. They didn't pay the full vow that they were making at the altar. And, and, and it's funny, as is Ananias at the altar, boom, died. Wife comes in, and the apostle goes, is this truly? He gave, him an, gave her an out. Oh, yeah, 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 this is everything. Right? And boom, she said, those guys that are carrying your husband out the door are going to come back and carry you. And she died. God takes what we say before the, him, accident or not, to say it's a mistake 
shows the rashness of our words or the lack of our relationship with him. Claiming an error in such a situation is tantamount to admitting that the vow was made in haste. The result when God judges or disciplines such foolish people can be catastrophic. In Ananias and Sapphira, it took their life. Sometimes God takes, you know, we lose possession, we lose things, we don't know. God disciplines us. We shouldn't be rash with our vows. Right? James 1.26, be quick you know, to hear, slow to speak. Take that to heart. When we are convicted by something in church and we're convicted as we read Scripture, don't just irreverently just say, God deserves more than just saying, oh God, I'm going to do this. Stop. Be quiet. Think about who God is. He is holy. He is worth more than just simply rashly, quickly spewing a promise to him. Take him and hold him high and say, God, I need to really think about this. In fact, that leads to the fourth one, and that is fearing God leads to true worship. Fearing God leads to true worship. In verse uh, 7 says, for, for when many dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. A lot of times as we, we come to church and as we worship, we dream and we say, man, it would be great if we just filled this whole place to the brim. I'm going to go out and I'm going to grab every non-believer that doesn't know about God and I'm going to bring them all to church and God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pack this house. We dream sometimes. As we listen to, to God and what God does and, and what God can do and we get excited and we dream these dreams and we say, I'm going to do this. And we get caught up in the dream, but we're not really caught up into just worship God. I want you, I want you to understand what I'm not saying is vows are not wrong. But how we vow vows can be seriously wrong. How we approach God and how our commitments that we make can be wrong. I love the fact that most Christians find it extremely difficult in in fearing God. They're like, what does that mean? What does it really mean to fear God? Does it mean to be afraid? Does it mean to be in reverent awe? You know, like, whoa. Does it mean to... Oh, man, I am so in fear of God. I'm going to kill all the sin in my life. I'm going to crucify myself. I'm going to be this amazing sacrifice to God. I'm going to do a lot of these good things. What does it mean to fear God? If we can't really define what fear is, then how can we exercise it? Because fearing God is the answer. Paul, or Solomon is saying, you know, Paul says it too, but here in our text, Solomon is like, God is the one you must fear. Not work, not possessions, not things. Fear God. Worship begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom, right? The beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord, Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 1, 7, 
The fear of God includes some basic elements that you'll see repeated over and over. I'm just going to go through them real fast. And that is this. The fear of God includes these things. Trust God completely. It means lay your trust basically is the idea of submitting to Him to just fall down before Him. Trust that whatever He says and, and is going to do in your life. That's trust. That's the idea behind uh, in the Psalm 115. Also experience God's forgiveness in reality. We sometimes talk about God's forgiveness, but we don't live it out. We don't live it out in forgiving others. We don't live it out in being forgiven. We don't live it out in just living in forgiveness. The fear of, the God, of God is experiencing His forgiveness. It's also delighting in God's Word. Whether it's Psalm 19, Psalm 119, Psalm 112, is fearing God means delighting in His Word. We have such an awe of God. We fear God so much that we're going to run to His Word and we delight in what we find about God. Number four, go beyond delighting in God's Word and obey it. Do it. It's amazing when we use God's Word for our daily things in our life, how our life changes when we use it and not just say, yep, I know that about God. We need to do it. Obey it. It's, it's amazing. Psalm 119.63 or if you go down the conclusion of the whole matter in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, fear God, keep His commandments. Jesus talks about the other way, and then He says, love God and obey me. Obey what I have said. I've said. The other thing is hate evil, Proverbs 8, 13. How do we fear God? It's the opposite. We actually hate evil. We don't we don't rejoice in evil. We don't laugh at evil. We don't dwell in evil. We don't pursue evil. I can't tell you how many times that I've counseled somebody that says, oh man, I am freaked out. I'm fearful. I have anxiety. And I'm like, and I have this questionnaire and it's like, you know, what is your favorite TV shows? And it's all horror shows. I'm like, okay, let's simply try something. Let's cut out all the horror shows. Let's, let's like, instead of watching a horror show at night, let's read a psalm, <laughs> right? Let's read one psalm, uh, you know, and if it's over, if it's over 25 verses, uh, read the, the rest of it the next day. But it's like, just read a psalm in the place of watching a horror show. And it's amazing over the months how the anxiety and the fear and just all of that just kind of slowly disappears, don't dwell in evil. Hate it. Hate here is strong. It means remove yourself from. Right? To fear the Lord means to hate evil. Number six is this. Steadfastly hope in God's loyal love. I love Psalm 147. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Oh, he is just, is, is pleasurable. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about when that, that you, know, you know, like first harvest of strawberries on, and you put together a ton of fresh whipped cream, homemade, and you just, 
first bite is like, oh, or the apple pie. I was so proud of my boys this week. We were given an apple pie from a, a Dutch, um, the Dutch bakery, and the guy was, you know, talking about the Dutch bakery apple pie, how it's the best ever. And my, my Jaden Le- or Josiah leaned over and says, Mom's is better. <laughs> I was like, you got it. <laughs> so steadfast, he pl- oh, the pleasure that God takes when we fear him. It says, in those who hope in his steadfast love. The more we hope in his steadfast love and, and we realize his love never ends and we, we find great hope in that, that's what it means to fear the Lord. We are taking and we're hoping in him instead of the other things of life. And that's the question. Do you really fear the Lord? Because true worship is in fearing the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? That's what I love about Psalm 34. As David is running for his life, he doesn't sing a song about running for his life. Rather, he sings a a song about the Lord. Verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is is good. Oh, if I can get you to remember anything, is that fearing God is so good, and it, it's, it's tasty. Do you fear man? Do you fear our society? Do you fear what might happen? Taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, oh, you saints. Oh, f- though, for those who fear Him have no lack. I like this. The young lions suffer and want hunger, right? Because they don't have what a full pride have. Young lions are kicked out by the, the, the older lion. They're roaming around trying to develop their own, and, and they're struggling because they're not the hunters that the ladies are, right? And so they provide, and so the lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord Lack no good thing. And that is really the question is, who are you going to fear today? Really, it is the beginning of worship. Beginning of worship. Where are you going to put your trust? Where are, you going to, are you going to seek experiences to make you feel better? Or are you going to seek to enjoy the, the experience of God's forgiveness, the gospel? Are you going to delight in His Word? Are you going to obey His Word? Are you going to hate evil? And are you just going to be so enjoy God's love? For those, if you're not saved, if if you're still living your life for yourself, you put your life in your hands, it's all about your good deeds, you're destined to be eternally separated from God for eternity. Hell is a real place. Hell is an eternal separation from God of pain and agony. It's what life is like with no God. God right now is holding all things together. Even though Satan's running around destroying the things of this world, God, is, God still has his hand in things. He is sovereign. He is control. He is above all things. Where is your worship? If you do not, have not laid your life down, 
If you said, I, you know, Christ laid his life down to offer you forgiveness of sin. If you haven't called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved, then you need to do that today because you cannot experience God's forgiveness without the work that Christ did on the cross in raising again from the, from the tomb. If you do not delight in that, you're not going to hate evil and you're not going to enjoy God's love. You won't. Because that's a byproduct of what Christ did on the cross for our sins. Because we are not going to have His righteousness. Without Christ's death, there is no remission of sin. There is no salvation by any, by any other name by which men can be saved than in Christ. You have to come and say, I can't do it. I'm not good. I need you. I need your gift. Would you respond to him today? Maybe you've gotten stuck in just doing good things and you think that's going to strengthen your relationship with God. Fear him. Fear him. Church, love him. It'll bring you to worship. Fear the Lord. It's not a bad thing. It is an amazing thing. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sure there are here that have put their faith and trust in themselves and their works and good deeds, but haven't put their faith and trust in you. I pray that they would just not know about you, but they would have a real relationship with you. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would be committed that when we talk to you and we talk about you, Lord, that when we say things that I am going to live for you, that we would mean it. That, and when we fail, that we would keep paying the vow that we pay. Seek your forgiveness and move forward in our life to make a commitment to pay and to live in peace in our relationship with you. If we're flippant with our words, Lord, you say that it just brings about vain and foolish worship. And we don't really know who you are. But to fear you is to really to understand you, to know you. It's the beginning of all worship. And Lord, may that be one of our identifying marks of this family at First Baptist. May we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.